Hello everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast, where we chat everything and anything related to the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Cowie, I am a drummer turned comedy singer-songwriter and apparently now a podcaster. You're going to hear me chat to many different people, but more often than not, it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within, arguably, the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free each and every week on scottcowie.com, on Stitcher Radio, and now on iTunes. So please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, let them know what's going on over here. But for now, enjoy the show. Guest this week on the podcast, Larry Goldings, pianist, organist, producer, arranger, composer, the man who plays the keys for James Taylor, the Steve Gadd Band. He's involved in a whole host of projects, super talented guy. It's going to be a good one. Before we get to the interview, I am joined now by my friend, one of the greatest musicians in the world. The second best musician in the world. My phone's just did the text thing, but I'm going to continue. The second best musician in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together. The one, the only, Nora Germain. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Nora. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for round of applause. Wow. That's a lot of applause. How's Nora? Well, I'm feeling great. You know me, I can't complain. Oh, wait, that's, no, that's my line. Fine. Shut the hell up. Don't steal my line. Don't steal my I'm songs. A Don't steal it. my podcast. Don't steal anything of mine. Don't mention my name in your forthcoming book unless it's something really nice. Okay? Now, talking of your book, Use this podcast as a platform for your own self-gratification, your own recognition. Tell everybody about your pledge campaign. It's going brilliant. You've been verified on social media. Tell everybody what's going on in the land of Nora Germain. Before we move on to a hot new topic on the podcast, Nora, hit us. Okay. In the last uh, few days, I've launched this pledge music campaign. And pledge music is a crowdfunding website that is the best one in the world for musicians to use. And I'm writing a book and releasing my fourth album at the same time. And if you go on to Pledge Music, you can see my campaign is featured on the home page of their website. And uh, you can pledge for uh, various items, autograph things, stuff from my violin case, and a lot of other stuff. And I've got some other gigs happening then and uh, also getting ready to meet up with Martin Taylor again in Italy in July. And the campaign is going to be going the whole time. So, yeah, check it out. Pledge it. Share it. It's going to be really great. And I can't do it without you guys. And I love you all. So that's what I have to say. Nora Germain, just take a little bit of self-promotion there before we move on. To the news segment of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Nora, are you excited about the news segment? Yes, I am thrilled that we're doing a new segment. I think it's a great idea. What is the new segment? It's called, <laughs> It's a brand new segment called The Intricate Discussions of Stupid Laws. Okay, okay. So, I ladies and gentlemen, I would like to welcome you to the intricate, what did I call it there? Because I just made that name I up. Don't, I think the title is pretty bad, actually. But um, the intricate discussions of bad laws. What did you say? Stupid laws. Say it again. Just say it. Introduce it. Say, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. The intricate. Dis- go for it. The intricate discussion of stupid laws. It's not working. Give us a theme song for it. We need a theme song. This is the intricate discussion of stupid laws. First edition, number one, right here. Ta-da! 
Right, okay, we move right on, ladies and gentlemen. Now, what's going to happen is we've got a list of what many perceive as stupid laws, but I think some of them are good laws. We're going to have an intelligent, intricate discussion, if you will, about it. And Nora, you're going to give us your thoughts on these quote-unquote stupid laws. So I'm going to read one out. You just tell me okay. what your thoughts are. This is a British one. Okay? Yeah, yeah. It is illegal to enter the Houses of Parliament in a suit of armour. Why? It just is. Right, you tell me what your thoughts are initially. I'm going to try and get more information on this particular law as you... Is it because they can't see who you are when you have a suit of armour on? Or because they are turned on by that? What Turned on? What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I think if someone walked into my house of parliament wearing a suit of armor, I'd want to know what was going on underneath. <laughs> so you reckon um, this law got put into place because somebody walked into the house of parliament with a suit to armor and a raging hard-on? <laughs> yeah. Right, okay. But, but you wouldn't even know because of the suit of armor, though. You can't, you can't poke through <laughs> unless it's really raging. <laughs> I think that's a stupid law. You think I it's think a stupid they, law? They, now, should, they, they should revoke it. Right, okay. The law got passed in 1313. Okay, um, so it just it's, it's, a, it's a lot. Now, I've also found another one um, regarding the House of Parliament. It's illegal to die in Parliament. What? Yes, it is illegal to die in Parliament. But the thing is, though, see, if you do die, how are you going to get penalised? Are they going to take your dead body to court? Nora, what's going on there? Yeah. You don't know when you're going to die. Some people just die just sitting there. You know, someone who died. Um, <laughs> well, we all know someone who's died, but. Why, you, why are you laughing while you say that, you freak? <laughs> do, you, do you know Lil Hardin, no. Louis Armstrong's wife? Okay. She was a really famous band leader and a pianist, and she was amazing, but she didn't get as famous as she should have because she's Louis Armstrong's wife. Anyway, she died playing the piano at a tribute to him. She just slid right off the bench. She just died right there. I think that's the best way to go with your clothes on. What the... F How the hell did we talk about... This is the thing about getting you on the podcast. You're talking about men having hard-ons and suits <laughs> of armor. Then you're talking about Louis Armstrong's wife dying while playing the piano. How no, because it's illegal to die in Parliament. I'm yeah, saying but what's you never... that got to do with Louis Armstrong's wife dying while playing the because piano? she didn't decide to die on the piano. It just happened. So you can't fault someone for dying in public. And that's why I think that law is stupid. Full okay. circle there. Full circle. Like it, like it. Now, this is an interesting set I found. A lot of laws in actual Parliament. Okay, but we're going to move on. We're going to move on. We're going to move on. There's a lot of stupid laws here. Okay, now I've I've noted a couple earlier, right? Because I, I thought this one may interest you. Okay, you ready for this one? Right. Now, this is my issue. I worry about you going to New York. Why? I used to live there. Well, this law might get passed because of you, nor is your main. Oh. Yes, because in New York. It is against the law to throw a ball at someone's head for fun. <laughs> really? Yes. No way. It's a law that people like you, scum like you, should actually take more seriously. What about dodgeball? I guess you don't throw a ball at someone's head on purpose. You're just throwing it at that person on purpose. Yeah. So what do you think of that law? I don't, it depends on what kind of ball it is. <laughs> Explain. If it's like a beach ball or a volleyball, maybe it's okay. But you don't want to throw like a baseball at someone's head. That's not good. I think it depends on the type of ball. They should change the law and specify. But the, the balls that you mentioned, a.k.a. volleyball, and what the other one? A beach ball. You know, it's got air inside. Yeah, you no, a beach, beach ball is your dick. Right? Okay, beach sorry. ball, volleyball. They're bigger balls than the ball that you mentioned. What? I said they're bigger balls 
than the ball that you mentioned. The baseball surely is a safer option than a volleyball. No, it's no, a baseball is hard. It's small and it weighs more. So if someone throws that at you, you're going to get knocked out in a second. Have you ever been hurt by hard balls in public? No. <laughs> Maybe that's the story for another time. Has that never happened to you, Nora? I. You have to ask me a more specific question. Okay. Maybe just I'll repeat the question. Have you ever been hot with hard balls in a public setting? You know what? I don't like this kind of interrogation. And I also don't know what you mean by public setting. Well, I think Nora is actually finally taking this law more seriously because she's realizing that if somebody do, does hit you with a volleyball on the head, that it is illegal. So maybe everybody should just be a little bit more carefree in public. I agree. I completely agree. We're going to move on, ladies and gentlemen, to another law. And I hope you all out there are taking note of these laws, okay? In Oklahoma, it's illegal to have a sleeping donkey in your bathtub after 7 p.m. <laughs> um, okay. What do you think of that? Why is it okay to have a sleeping donkey in your bathtub if it's before 7 p.m.? Well, as you ponder this, right, I'm going to dig a little bit deeper and try to get me some more information on this law, a.k.a. I'm going to Google it and see what pops up. So what's your initial thoughts on that? Stupid law or not? Um... I mean, would you have a donkey in your bathtub? What if I needed it for something? What, the bathtub or the donkey? No, the donkey. What do you mean? What if I need it? You know, like we're well, it's like there's a party or I need I need it. Sorry. <laughs> what on earth are you talking about? <laughs> I just think if you want to have a donkey in your bathtub because you're using it for something, then that's fine. No, no, but what do you mean you would be using it for something? You would do so. You're thinking that if you needed a donkey for a party, you would want to give it a wash first. Yeah, yeah, I would. Are you kidding me? But why would you have a donkey at a party anyway? Well, that's not the point. The point is no, that the there's point, a lot. No, it is the point because you were pondering and why you would have a fucking donkey at a party. Why would you? Why would you do that? What if the donkey is giving people rides? You know, you can go to you can go to places and they have donkeys that you can ride on and they'll take you, you know, up the hill or down the hill. What if you live on a hill and you need a donkey and your donkey that's taking people to and from their cars got dirty and you have to wash it and it's after 7 p.m. and you live in Oklahoma? <laughs> I think it's a stupid rule. I think that they should change it. Right, okay. Well, the authorities in Oklahoma, please listen to what Nora has just said. Please listen to the sense that Nora Germain is making and do something about it, yep. ladies and gentlemen. Please, Nora, is there anything you want to say to the um, authorities of Oklahoma before we move on? Fuck you. <laughs> And uh, Nora That's Germain is available for any bookings in theatres or all across Oklahoma. So please get her booked and uh, make sure it's before 6pm or before 7pm, I should say, because Nora will get very annoyed if she can't shove a donkey in a bath after <laughs> 7 o'clock. Nora, see, if, if you get, how many, if you get four female friends that you can name off the top of your head? Yeah. Go for it. Who? Name four of your female friends. Why? Just do it. Just name the first names. Oh, okay. Michelle, Dima, Alex, and Genevieve. Okay. If you girls, including you, walk down the street tomorrow, I want you to picture this, right? Yeah. You girls walk down the street tomorrow. You, Mima, Alex, Jasmine... And Josephina. You got everyone's name wrong. And you see a lovely house. Yeah. 
and you think to yourself, we should move into that house. Well, I've got news for you, Nora. You fucking well can't because it is illegal in a lot of states within America for five women to be in a house. What? Yes, you heard it here first. Why wouldn't it be illegal? Why wouldn't it be illegal? Uh Uh-huh. That's like saying, why don't you need cheese? It's like, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Why wouldn't it be illegal? Because why the fuck wouldn't five women want to live in a house? Well, it's obviously very dangerous. Have you ever Yes. Have you ever heard of that phrase, too many cooks spoil a broth? What if none of the women cook? Well, what else are they going to do? They're going to have to survive, aren't they? And we all know that women gravitate towards a kitchen when they walk into a house. So if you I can't cook anything. The only thing I can make is reservations, and I get along fine. <laughs> have you ever used a microwave? No. Are you serious? You've never used... You're meant to be a strong, confident, independent black woman. A black woman? What did you say? I said you're meant to be a strong, confident white woman at the age of 23. No, it's all an illusion. It's all an illusion. Have you never used a microwave, you freak? No. Right, anyway, five normal women with a brain, okay, decide to move into a house. They're going to go into the kitchen and they're going to burn Maybe the... Maybe you pl- can be the fifth woman because you're kind of making me feel like I don't belong in this group anymore. Well, well... You- Maybe you should have a word with Angzima, um, Lazare, Mima, Freddy, and John, and tell them you're feeling a little bit insecure because you can't actually work a kitchen. That being said, what do you think of the whole it's illegal for five women to own and operate and live in a house? I think that's insane. Why? Why? I don't understand the reason. I'm trying to find reasons, and I've got news for you, Nora. I can't really find anyone. Anything. No, I honestly don't understand. I mean, why? What is it? So, like, two gay, lesbian... Well, I mean, that's redundant. Two lesbian moms have three daughters, and they can't move into the house? That's a point, actually. Oh, here's a good one, right? We'll end on this one. This segment's lasted forever. Okay, you ready for this? Oh, yeah. In Baltimore, it is illegal to take a lion to the movies. Yeah, good rule. Why? Because the lion's going to rip someone's freaking face off. What if the lion's friendly? I don't think a lion should be, like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, a friendly alligator, maybe. (laughs) That's discrimination against certain animals, is it not? You're just assuming, right? I said to you, why is that law stupid? You said because a lion would rip someone's freaking head off. Therefore, you're insinuating very, very clearly on this podcast, this live podcast that goes out to thousands, right? That all lions are ill-tempered, all lions have got rage issues, and all lions have got no control, no heart, no feelings, and no No, soul. lions are great, but I don't think they should be brought to the movies. Why? They should run wild. They should run wild. It's abuse. And also, if you do have a lion and it's a nice one, that's really nice. I believe many lions are very nice lions. But you shouldn't bring it to the movie theater. It's just just too sketchy. Right. You're going to play the role of a lion owner, right? Okay. I'm going to play the role of the lion. Okay. Nora. Yes, lion. My name is Leon. Leon the Lion. I'd prefer you address okay. that. Let's start okay. again. Yo, okay. Nora. Nora. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, I was just flicking through the paper and um, the Lion King's out again. Disney brought it out. 3D animation. Take me along to see it, will you? Thursday? We're not doing anything. I'm sorry, but we can't do it. Why not? We can watch it here at the house together. No, I want to go and see it in the movies. All my friends are doing it, and they were talking about it in the yard the other day. And um, What kind of friends do you have that are going to the movies? Fellow lions, you daft dick. No, you don't have any lion friends that are going to the movies because it's not allowed. No, first of all, you're telling me that I don't have any friends, therefore you're trying to chip away at my self-esteem. And now you're telling no. me... 
that I can't leave the flaming house? Don't no, you think this is quite an abusive... Why is the house flaming? And also, there's a law that says that... i tell that you why it's flaming. It's flaming because my temper is burning on a daily basis because you're putting forward stupid rules telling me that I can't have friends and telling me that I can't go out and enjoy myself. I'm a lion just like any other lion. And if they're going to present movies where lions talk and function in a real world, why the hell would you prevent me going out and being the same? That's really nice, but you have a big temper, so I really don't think you should go into public. I've with got that a big thing. temper because you're so bloody restrictive as an owner. This reminds me of a relationship I've had before. With a lion. <laughs> <laughs> this this reminds you of a relationship that you've had with an animal. No. What does it with remind you of? Who? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> But it reminds me of it, you know, one person gets mad at the other person and then the other person says, this is why I can't take you anywhere. And then the other person says, no, you're the reason I'm so angry. Remember? No. I'm really sorry that we can't see Lion King. I why know the it hell seems, not? I know it seems like discrimination. Have you but... seen the Lion King before? Are you asking me your yes. honor? Or me, yes. Jermaine? Yes. Yes. Of course I have. Did you enjoy it? Yeah. Then why the course. hell are you preventing me from going to see it? We can see it together at the house. I don't want to see it in the house. The house well, smells. <laughs> yeah, like lion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. What do you expect? If you don't want your fucking house to smell like lion, maybe you should let the lion out the fucking house. You can't have it all your own way. You don't like your lion. You don't like your house smelling the lion, yet you won't let the lion out the house. Don't you think this is a bit bipolar, you fucking idiot? This is another reason why I think people shouldn't have pet lions. <laughs> yes, so do I. Or lions that talk. You train them too well. Anyway, nor is your main on the Talk Music Podcast. That concludes our... What was the thing called? Intricate Discussions of Stupid Laws. <sighs> that it does. Nora Germain on the Talk Music Podcast. The lovely Nora Germain, the super talented, the woman who says that I taught her everything she knows, and you can read all about it in the forthcoming book. The book is called Nora Germain. It's easy to play the violin. That's actually not what the book is called, <laughs> but that's not a bad title because I don't think it's as hard as people make it. Jenk, I could play the violin. Yeah. Thanks for the vote of confidence. Nora Germain on the Talk Music Podcast. We're going to get straight to the interview. It's going to be a good one. Okay, I am back on the Talk Music Podcast with Mr. Larry Goldings. How are you, sir? I'm excellent. How are you, sir? Yeah, not bad, not bad at all. Uh, I've been listening the last couple of days, uh, watching some YouTube clips, Larry, or about the um, on the Larry Goldings trio. Uh, really enjoying that. Tell us how that trio came about. Well, uh, I met Peter Bernstein, the guitarist, um, at a high school summer jazz program in um, Rochester, New York, at the Eastman School of Music in 84. And uh, so I've known Peter a real long time, and we became fast friends. And then... Um, he had heard about this, uh, he's a New Yorker, and he, he heard about this new program, college program that was starting up called the New School uh, Jazz Program. And I ended up going there uh, after high school. And, uh, and he actually ended up uh, at a different college for a few years and then switched over to the New School. Long story short, he... He introduced me to Bill Stewart, who he had met at a different music uh, program, and we played a bit, and it uh, kind of developed into a into a trio. But it's but I wasn't really playing the organ. I hadn't been playing the organ a lot. I was mainly a piano player. But one of the sort of things that happens when due to the lack of of pianos in some of the little clubs that we were able to get gigs is you know I, we needed to figure out some other way of of uh developing a, a group in some of these clubs and 
I had always been interested in the organ thing, so I started messing around with some portable organs and uh, just kind of, you know, got in, really got into it. And this 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 trio developed eventually into a regular New York um, weekly gig at various uh, clubs, um, and that's really how it all started. And and we got an opportunity to record. Um, my first record or our first record um, uh, on a German label that Maceo Parker was on. And I, I had been a sideman for Maceo Parker around 1990 or so. And so it, we, so I started to get some exposure as an organ player, be, as a sideman through Maceo. And, and, uh, and then the group recorded and my identity sort of started to shift from being a piano player to being an organ player. And so it was, they were very accidental, really. It wasn't really a plan. Now, the, uh, let's talk about the album that you recorded recently, a piano album, Music from the Front Room, uh, with a, kind of a different lineup. Now, essentially, how does that experience uh, playing with the piano trio differ from the experience with playing with your organ trio, if you like? Yeah, it's, it's well, it's very different. The piano is a very different instrument, of course, and it's, it's, um, um, uh, lends itself to different types of moods and textures. And also the particular players on that, that record, which by the way, is only right now available, you know, digitally. I haven't put it out as a, as a physical CD yet, but, um, those, you know, the individuals you're playing with, I think, have more of an influence on what the music's going to be than, than say, the instrument you're playing. I think, um, you know, these those guys on that particular record, particularly Jay Bellarose, the drummer. He's not, he wouldn't consider himself really a jazz drummer, um, but he's a very spontaneous, very creative drummer. And we, uh, I, I, I sort of structured the material around uh, what it is I like about how those guys play. And, and of course I'm, I'm my own bass player when I'm playing the organ. So that, that will guide my musical thinking in a, in a very different way than when I have a bass player where in some ways I'm much freer, you know, because I don't have to carry that, that role. And, um, also we recorded that record on a, on a, on a, on an upright piano, you know, and that it's that in itself also influences how I'm going to play what, what, what the repertoire might, might be, might be, you know, how it might influence the choice of repertoire. And, um, so it, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a question of, of the personnel really influencing, uh, how you're going to play and, and yes, if uh, you know Oregon, you're you're going to tend to go for. Well, a lot of people think that when you play the organ, you're gonna you're gonna automatically go for a bluesier sound. You know, for me, that's only partly true because if you listen to my records with Peter and Bill, it's they're not blues oriented records. You know, and 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 that's a, another example of how the players are really kind of the main. Your, your main guide in terms of um, where you're going to go musically. And even though there's a very um, strong history of blues with the organ, that it's just really comes down to the individual uh, players and what you, what you want to get out of a, out of a group. And, uh, but you know, it, it, it says, so it's, it's a hard question to ask in terms of, you know, how, how do I play differently on piano and organ? I think it has more to do with with who you're playing with and 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 that sort of thing. Because there's repertoire on the organ that I could just as well play on the piano, you know. Um, um, but you'd approach it differently. It's it's, it's um, it, the instrument is just just a means of getting out, you know, your 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 creative process, you know. Excellent. Now. Take his way back. Who was the piano player that really got you into the instrument and inspired you want to, to do it yourself? Can you remember a specific moment in time where you thought, I want to be a piano player? I think it was probably Oscar Peterson more than anybody else. I mean, I, I had a, a, a few records in the beginning that really 
really um, interest me, interest, interested me in, in jazz. And, and those would have been a few Oscar Peterson records, uh, a few Bill Evans records, and a guy who really never left New England, who's considered a, one of the great piano players, though, and a guy named Dave McKenna. Um, and, the, and between those three guys, those were my initial influences, but probably the most powerful one was Oscar, just, just from the sheer, uh, power that, that he, that he had as a pianist technically and the blues influence that is heard and everything that he does. Well, it was something that I loved early on. Um, but I think the fact that, that Bill Evans was in the mix too, uh, interested in another part of my brain, um, the part that uh, loves harmony. Not not that Oscar Peterson isn't or wasn't a great harmonic thinker. He was, but but the sort of um, the sort of impressionistic stuff that Bill Evans was doing was beyond what I was able to hear, and it just piqued my interest that much more, and. Uh, inspired me to just try to figure out what was going on there because there was something so, and because of the impressionistic harmony that is tied, was tied into my, the classical listening that I was doing because I was really into some of the people that I think Bill Evans was influenced by that, that would have been French, a lot of French, you know, French composers and Chopin and, you know, things like that. And those, those happened to be things that I was not playing very seriously because I was never a serious classical player, but I was definitely listening to it, particularly because I was intrigued by the, har the, har the harmonic element and the, the melodic uh, brilliance of some of those composers. So I think Bill was tapping into my interest in classical music and Oscar was tapping into my interest in swinging and the jazz feeling and and the blues. Wow, that's a great great list of piano players there. Now you're at high mm. school, you're a big fan of James Taylor, and years later, of course, mm. you end up sharing the stage with the man. Um, how did mm. this how did this gig come about? Well, quite simply, the, the, a guy named Russ Teitelman, who, who was a very well-known producer, was a very active producer in the 70s um, and 80s and 90s. Um, he and uh, another guy named Lenny War Warrenker um, produced all the real classic records by uh, Randy Newman and um, to name one great uh, artist. But I knew Russ in New York. He used to call me for sessions to overdub organ stuff on some pop things and uh, a few jazz things. And Russ had, had in the seventies had produced a couple James Taylor records. And then in 2001 was asked by James to record the record he was making then, which was called October road. And he called me up one day and said, look, James has got a piano player, a guy he's been using for years, but he's got this tune on the new record that's a very jazz oriented tune and i think you know we i wanted to bring you in as someone who's really authentically going to fill that role and he sent me a demo of james playing the tune it was called mean old man and he said can you can you come to this studio on this day and meet james and play with the band and I said, yeah. So that's how I met him. And it went really well. And I did that tune and one more tune on that uh, record. And then James started calling me for more kind of jazz standard type of appearances that he sometimes does with, with, with pop, but with uh, like, like, the, like orchestras, like pops orchestras. And those were gigs that were had arrangements of standards plus a few of his hits. So I think in a way it was his way of seeing how I did in both those genres. And um, soon after that, he decided to make a change in his, some changes in his band, which included replacing his piano player. And I, I accepted the gig and that was a long time ago been doing it since 2000 late 2001 or early 2002 now, so. the man the man behind the kit right now for james taylor is of course steve gadd 
is mm. absolutely outstanding. What's it been like over the years just playing with Steve Gadd? <laughs> really wonderful. Very, very educational and and like and and like James, Steve is someone who I've been listening to on record since I was a kid, and so it was a similar type of uh, insane dream to, coming true that I'd be able to experience that. But he's also a just a super super human being, and I really we become good friends, and he's a. Uh, he's sort of my therapist on the road, and he's just a really, really down-to-earth, excellent guy. But the playing is is it's still very mysterious. Just just trying to figure out why Steve can play the simplest, the seemingly seemingly simplest thing, and and have it be so special, so personal, and so um, wonderful to to play to, you know, and. Uh, it's been great, and I've been able to play with Steve in other contexts where we get to play more improvised music and um, stuff that's not just James's music. But you know, uh, I've been influenced by by Steve a lot. You know, one thing that really impresses me is that the fact that he can do so much on his instrument when when it's called for. But he is he's just as interested in in playing something that's only there to serve. The artist, or the song, or the 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 specific needs that, and and that can be that's often something that's extremely minimal, and and in that way he's very he's very humble, you know, as a player, and uh, I think that's influenced me a lot. I I I I, I like that discipline of um, sort of turning off a lot of the things that you might know that oh. that in a jazz context would be appropriate and musically fun and interesting having to turn that stuff off and just focus on well what's what's my role what, what's gonna you know what's my role here to help James tell the story and to help the band just uh, feel feel good and and so I like that I to me it's a, it's a challenge it's it's a challenge it's it's, it's just as much of a challenge as Playing in, a, in a, it's just a different kind of challenge. Just playing in a jazz context where you're dealing more with improvisation, and it's almost like playing chamber music or something. You have to really, even though we're kind of playing similar parts every night, depending on the tune. You know, there are there are songs where it's very part oriented, and there are songs when you can kind of be more of yourself. But there's a mystery about like why was Country Road just so funky and spontaneous and great last night and tonight feels a little bit stale or you know it's, it's and that's like playing in a chamber group when if you play if you play the same notes every night it's not it's still it doesn't mean that it's going to be a great performance every night but chances are with a band of the caliber that James puts together that it's it's usually pretty good it's usually really really nice to play that music and you're talking about an authentic, you know, playing with guys with a serious authenticity, you know, someone like James Taylor. And I've been very spoiled in that way with playing with people who are sort of the masters of their craft, of their genre, like people like James and Steve and Maceo Parker. And I'm very, very lucky to play with, with people who are the most authentic of their of their genre, you know. And somebody who definitely fits into that category as well is uh, a gentleman that goes by the name of Hans Groiner. Um, mm. <laughs> now, I've got a very good friend called Mike Smith, um, who was just, he's a great piano player, great saxophone player. And he just kept saying to me, you have to ask Larry about Hans Groiner. How did this character mm. come about? The, char- the, the man that we've all come to know and love. Wow. Um, well, I've always been a fan of, of comedy, particularly British comedy and um, satire and, you know, um, I think it started off as a, as a thing I used to do for friends, uh, like um, what, if, uh, what if John Tesh or, you know, he's like a smooth, he's like a new age piano player or George Winston, sort of a 
new agey piano player, who I used to like, by the way, when I was a kid, George Winston. Um, what if George Winston played played Monk? What, what would it sound like? You know, that kind of thing. And then and what that meant was taking out anything that wasn't diatonic or any rhythm that was in you know not you know uh, easily digestible to the general public. So um, somehow, why it became an Austri- an Austrian um, character. It's kind of random, except except to say that uh, I've run into some I've run into some people uh, over the years who have uh, who have misunder- who who clearly misunderstand um, the importance of people like like Monk, and you, you run into a lot of people who don't really understand jazz in general, and they and they hear Monk and they and they think that he's doesn't know how to play the piano, and so I was sort of. I don't know, making a little, a little satire about those people, and um, maybe about some of the some a couple specific um, Germans or Austrians that I've met over the years, and it's uh, not meant to be a not meant to be um, cruel to uh, to uh, I, I, some of my best friends are Austrian, um, and uh, and that's that's all it is, and I did it as an experiment when the internet was new and it started off as a MySpace page with just audio clips that I did at the end of a session for Curtis Steigers, a singer, where the rhythm section was there. I said, hey, and I started playing one of these, you know, um, sanitized monk things and the drummer and bass player just started playing along and the engineer started recording and we and I said how let's just do 30 seconds of five monk tunes like this and if you can send me this you know send me the cd I'd love to have it and I I had it and then I decided oh let me try that let me try myspace and invent a, a guy and I thought of the name Hans Groiner and I looked it up and had, hadn't been taken there was nobody named Hans Groiner and I couldn't believe the hate that was that was coming it was hilarious for me to sit back anonymously and see people saying, "Who is? Who are you? This is this is a this is a travesty. This is an insult to jazz." To my, and I, I was just laughing my ass off. You know, just I couldn't believe. And it taught me the power of the internet. It was really interesting. You know, then somebody said, "You have to come out as as Hans." You know, and I didn't want to because I didn't really have a decent accent. I still, I can't really do the accent. And, but I bought this wig and I, (laughs) one thing led to another. And I, (laughs) you know, I knew a girl who's actually the sister, it's a very good, very good uh, comedian herself and a writer. And she had just come out of film school and she said, Oh, I'll, I'll film. I'll, why don't we film a little Hans thing? So the first of the two Hans videos was filmed by uh, uh, by her and um, Liz Liz Cole, and um, we edited it. She did most of the editing, and we put it out on YouTube, and it was crazy. It was really interesting how it. And still, despite the fact that it's obviously satirical, and there are plenty of physical jokes going on. So many people took it seriously, and it was just fascinating to me. And I just, I have a sick sense of humor in that way. I like people like, um, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen and, and people who really uh, do that stuff well. And, um, you know, it's just fun. And I kept it going, I don't know, for better or for worse, you know. Um, my wife seems to think actually she's come around now, but she kind of thought maybe it's a bad idea that you know that it'll take away from people appreciating my serious side. And most people disagree with her. They they say it'll it'll only help. And now she's kind of come around because I think she thinks that the the latest one, the uh, the, fa- the phony uh, masterclass, she found that pretty funny. So. What the hell? You know, it's like nowadays you have to think out of the box. Yeah. I mean, it's very it's very hard to make a living in music, you know. Not that I'm making any money yet from Hans Groiner, but it's possible that I could. And I don't consider it 
a bad thing if that ends up happening because it's 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 really challenging to um to keep this music thing going without having to travel and not be home all the time and not be with your family and if hans can can some somehow help me um fill in some of those uh holes you know where you know i haven't tried to make money off of it yet but i'm thinking that maybe i should actually make a hans DVD or or sell it sell a real masterclass online, and you know if it uh, becomes another stream of income and it makes people laugh, that's that's cool. The main thing is that it has to be funny. If I do if if it's not funny, that's the worst thing. But most people uh, seem to enjoy it. So is um is James Taylor or Steve Gadd have, have they ever been exposed to the greatness of uh, Hans Groener? Oh, for sure. In right. fact, um, if you follow my Facebook feed, there's a picture of Steve with the Hans wig. Wow. Next to me. And then there's another thing. I don't know if I've posted it, but I did an interview with Steve did a little interview with me uh, and I was Hans and he was asking me questions. And uh, he, he loves Steve's really into the whole comedy thing. Right. He that's wants, interesting. Uh, Oh yeah, he's got a great sense of humor, and he's a great teller of jokes. He knows so many jokes, and he tells them with that kind of detail and timing. That is, I don't know how he recalls all these jokes. Um, but he's got a, a wonderful sense of humor. Yeah. Wow. I think it's important to uh, not take yourself too seriously and uh, your craft too seriously. You know, I think you have to. And I, I, you know, of course, people who know me realize that I bow down to Thelonious Monk, and he's a huge influence. So anyone who misunderstand, who thinks that I'm being insulting, just, well, they just don't, they don't have a sense of humor. So I'm sorry. Lastly, so what else have you coming up then? What other music projects uh, have you got in the pipeline? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting, you know, trying to get more active with my, with my trio and, uh, we're going to probably make a new record in the next six months or so. And we made one fairly recently, uh, for this German label pirouette and we're going to do another one for them. It looks like, um, I'd love to take that piano trio on the road too, the one that you were talking about from the music from the front room. Mm-hmm which is available on iTunes and I suppose other digital, um, digital, uh, places on the internet. And, um, what else probably is going to be some, you know, I seem to keep getting back together with scope, John Schofield, and we're trying to find, uh, we're trying to find, uh, the space to, to do a record and, and to tour again. Um, I'm doing a lot of writing, uh, with, uh, something I've been doing for quite a, a while with out of, outside of jazz, you know, with, with singer songwriters trying to score films. I scored a feature film for Jeff Garland, who's plays the Larry David's manager in Curb Your Enthusiasm. I don't know if you know that, that, um, American show and he's a great comedian who made a independent film um, and I know him because he, his kids went to my kids school and we, uh, he loves jazz and I ended up scoring his film so I'd love to do more of that and I'm it's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm on, uh, I live in Los Angeles to be try to get some more of that kind of work and um, what else um, the road stuff is mostly James, my trio, Steve Gadd band. I forgot to mention that. Uh, we have two, there's a second record that just came out with that band, which is basically James's rhythm section. Um, and that's been fun. He's doing uh, some work this fall uh, for to celebrate his 70th birthday. And, um, but I have loads of ideas in terms of, records that I want to make that are not necessarily jazz records. They're not pop records either. They're just, I don't know, something that's sonically, you know, that, that, that takes advantage of the sonic possibilities with samples and things like that, but not, not necessarily 
beats or anything, just something. Because uh, I, I do love spending time in the studio and just having the time to create to create stuff. And there are people out there doing wonderful things that they're put, putting out on YouTube and getting more into, I think, I think one has to stay ahead of the curve technologically and put out things that are viewable on YouTube. And that's one thing that, whether it means me buying a camera and figuring out how to do, I, I, that's another goal of mine because I think that's, uh, that's become one of the new um, platforms that's becoming necessary to, to use and to distribute your music. Um, and I'm trying to stay in touch with how the younger generation is, not that anybody has figured it out because how to, how to get your music bought and exposed. It's a, we're in a big mess still with that. And, um, it seems that the people who are ahead of the curve technologically are maybe doing better in terms of exposing their music whether they're making money the way people used to with selling records, I don't really know. And jazz itself is, is a real challenge. And that's why it's important to stay open, you know, to other genres, other ways of getting your music out there. I think, um, so, so I'm trying to figure that out too, as, as, as is everyone. So, well, thanks very much, Larry. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you, and hopefully, one day uh, you can introduce me to Mr. Hans Groener. Well, I hope that can happen. He he's he skis quite a bit, <laughs> um, and so uh, he likes to to uh, spend a lot of time in the in the Alps. But um, hopefully, we can figure that out. You never know. Thank you very much, Larry. All right, Scott. Take care, man. There you have it, Larry Golding's fantastic interview and hopefully we'll get a part two further down the line. Um, and obviously earlier we had Nora Germain as well. Um, check out Nora's website, as she mentioned, she's got a pledge music campaign. Go to norasgermain.com to continue listening to this podcast. Click on scottcowie.com, you guys know what to do by now. Audio Boom has hosted that too, as well as SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, which you can rate, review, subscribe, and all that mother jazz. Keep checking out scottcowie.com, keep looking at my Facebook and keep following me on Twitter because there's a whole bunch of news coming up very very soon and by this the time this podcast goes out and there'll be some rumblings already so please go over to my Facebook, my Twitter and all that kind of stuff and we will see you guys next week.